The latest census of the population of the United States has been making news lately, but another census, one that deals with 70% of the Earth's surface, was also released this year, the Census of Marine Life, a 10-year study carried out by more than 2,700 scientists around the world that provides the most complete picture to date of what's happening underwater. Dr. Ron Odor, a senior scientist at the Census of Marine Life, joins us now for today's underreported segment to tell us how the census was carried out and what it found. Hello. Hello. Is this the first project of its kind? Uh, Well, uh, there have been many uh, surveys of the ocean over hundreds of years, but this is certainly the largest project uh, uh, to to look uh, comprehensively at the ocean that's ever taken place. Well, what kinds of records of marine life already existed before the project began? Uh, Well, I mean, Darwin, for example, uh, took uh, the Beagle uh, uh, on a long voyage, uh, and several several other long voyages have been made over time. but not not comprehensively, just a, a single cruise, essentially. Although I'm assuming that things change a lot over the 10 years that the census was taken. It, they, they certainly did. Uh, well, I mean, part of what we were trying to do was to lay down a baseline so that we would know where we stand at, uh, at this particular point, because obviously people are concerned about changing climate and uh, changing characteristics of, uh, of the global ocean. So we, we hoped that we could uh, produce something that would give us a place to, to start from and, and look towards future changes. Well, the census involved thousands of scientists from 80 different countries. It's an ambitious project. Are we going to see something similar coming along in a couple of decades, or is this a one-time project? Well, we we, uh, we would like to see uh, another sense of the, the concept of a census seems to be sort of every ten years, and so we we are working hard to uh, all of the people who are involved would like to do it again and be able to report on changes that that have occurred over over the decade. Uh, but uh, we we don't have a we don't have a secure funding plan, so. If any of your viewers would like to send in money, we'd be happy. (laughs) (laughs) How much of the world's oceans could you actually do this research in? I I can't imagine that you looked into every inch. Well, no. Um, I guess one of the most critical pieces of the census of marine life really was something that we call the Ocean Biogeographic Information System, which is a, a place where we collected historical records and then also added all the new records from our, our 17 projects. And it's an online system that uh, it's at iobis.org, uh, and anyone can look at the data that's been collected. There are over 30 million records um, in in OBIS now, and and it's it's actually become a part of uh, the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission's uh, database, uh, and uh, which is part of the of UNESCO. Uh, it's headquartered in. Uh, in Paris now. And so this is a permanent addition to what we know about the ocean that's openly accessible to everyone. Um, And there are a bunch of tools that allow you to do interesting things uh, looking at uh, uh, where we've been and where we haven't been. And uh, I guess one of the things 
It's one of the things that we did do with Obis was to look at uh, at where we haven't been, uh, and uh, so have you? Were you exploring places that had never been looked into before? Uh, yes, I mean we we have uh, we a lot of the Southern Ocean that that was explored had never been looked at before. What about of, mapping it? Uh, well, we're not quite in the mapping business. We're primarily interested in collecting um, uh, specimens. Uh, so, twenty uh, percent of the ocean has never had a twenty uh, percent of the volume of the ocean has never had a single biological specimen taken from it. And what were you looking at? Everything that lives in the oceans, from microbes to whales. Uh, yes, uh, we had projects that did all of those things. We we didn't can't can't really claim that every project went to every place, but. Uh, we did aim to get uh, global coverage for most of the projects, uh, and our our colleagues who work on microbes uh, say that there may be as many as a billion different types of microbes out there in the ocean. Uh, New ones have, discovered? Uh, we've discovered uh, hundreds of thousands of new new types of microbes. Uh, because of the new technology. Really, a lot of the census was driven by new technologies, things that we didn't have available before made the ocean transparent so we could uh, we could see things in ways that had never been possible before. Give me an example. What kinds of new technologies were used in this project? Oh, well, uh, I think one of the one of the best concepts is seeing with sound. We uh, it turns out you can't get much light through the ocean, but you can sound goes a long ways through the ocean. And so we used a lot of uh, uh, acoustic technologies. Um, one of them can look uh, can see a shrimp three kilometers down in the water. Uh, another one can look at ten thousand uh, square kilometers at a at a single glance. And uh, that project uh, was demonstrated uh, on George's bank uh, and. It actually saw a school of herring that was as big as Manhattan Island. Didn't you also do DNA barcoding? How does that work? Yes, uh, that was another breakthrough technology for us. Uh, we we have barcodes now for about thirty-five thousand uh, marine species uh, globally, and the barcode is just a short segment of DNA, about seven hundred base pairs, that seems to uniquely identify uh, species, and so. Uh, we we knew that we were going to discover a lot more species than we could get described during the course of the 10-year program. And so uh, one way of dealing with that is to, was to use this, this chemical barcode, DNA barcode, that uh, gave us a sort of uh, something that we could record and say this specimen had this barcode, and although it hasn't been described yet officially and published uh, in the way normal uh, biological descriptions are done, we, we have a, a placeholder, and, and uh, there's a, 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 an online system called BOLD, which uh, has the barcodes of all of the animals. Uh, the barcodes are used on land as well as at sea, but uh, they, they have a picture of the organism and, uh, and the barcode and uh, records of where the original specimens are held which allow people to uh, identify what's new and interesting. And uh, rather than going back and looking at the same old thing, they, they know they're pretty confident that they're going to find something new. I'm talking with Dr. Ron O'Dor, a senior scientist of the Census of Marine Life. 
Is there life everywhere, even under the Arctic ice sheets? Is is there life and is life in the northern Pacific very different from what you would find in the northern Atlantic? Well, uh, there's a sort of debate about the microbes. Uh, some some people believe that everything is everywhere. But um, that is the, the diversity is, is so well mixed. It's been around for four billion years, and and there's a little bit of everything everywhere. But certainly for the larger things, uh, we get uh, essentially evolution produces changes as uh, as areas get isolated, and most of the oceans are are have been isolated for 100 million years or so. There's there's some mixing that happens down in the uh, around Antarctica, there's a one continuous band which just uh, goes around and around and mixes water from one ocean to the other. But um, a, a lot of unique species are found uh, in in separate oceans. There, there are some species that are, in fact, uh, cosmopolitan. They're they're everywhere. A, a lot of a lot of the things that live in the midwaters of the ocean, uh, sort of a thousand meters or so and below um, tend to be cosmopolitan because uh, those waters are about the same everywhere. Well, what did the census reveal about species in decline? Did you document any extinctions? Well, there there are, in fact, have been very few marine extinctions, complete extinctions. There, there, There are a lot of uh, what, what we call commercial extinctions, where a species is no longer available in quantities that would justify uh, commercial activity. So fishing um, uh, for those species has, has stopped, but, uh, but in fact the species is still there. And one of the things that we found, well, I don't know, just, just to put this in perspective, uh, one of our projects that reviewed historical records of what was there a uh, hundred years ago, or in some cases even a thousand years ago, they found that 90% of most of the big fish and big organisms in the ocean are gone. So the the largest individuals uh, from the largest species have have disappeared, and that's not to say that the whole species is gone, but but. This is on a global scale. So anywhere you go in the oceans, uh, the largest individuals are gone. On, on the other hand, is that we, why the great white shark population turned out to have uh, to be less than had was previously thought? Uh, they, well, the, the 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 bigger the fish is, the easier it is to find, and the the uh, more impact it has on it. Um, the the, um, the the other thing that we learned. From from looking at historical records, is that that the ocean is in fact resilient. So, when you protect these species or when you protect certain areas, uh, recovery does occur. And uh, in a few cases, it, it takes it probably takes decades to uh, for recoveries to happen. But uh, for uh, areas that have been protected for seals and birds and those sorts of things, uh, the, the recoveries are significant. Well, you mentioned all the large species, but didn't the census also show that food-producing phytoplankton has declined around the world? There's one. There's one paper that has looked back at a hundred-year record of roughly a hundred years uh, of phytoplankton production, and uh, no one had ever looked cumulatively at those records. Uh, and there has been a significant decline uh, now. It, it's hard to say exactly why we don't we don't have that answer yet, but uh, cer- certainly 
one of the things that we've seen in the ocean is that really everything is linked, so there are connections. Uh, you can't just look at one part of the ecosystem without uh, thinking about how it interacts with all of the others. This, this is something that we call ecosystem-based management at, at, in, the, uh, in the context of uh, NOAA and uh, agencies that are required to manage fisheries. And it's a new way of looking at things. It, it also has to do with marine spatial planning and, and how the interactions between species occur. What about the effects of pollution and uh, things like the, B, uh, the BP oil spill? Um, well, uh, pollution is certainly going to, uh, certainly a major problem, mostly close to shore. Uh, you have to remember that the ocean is is pretty vast, 70% of the planet, and so uh, the, the pollution tends to be concentrated in in those areas that are closest to us, the, the Gulf of Mexico and and four other. Well, we, we actually had a, uh, a group that described the biodiversity in the, in the exclusive economic zones of 25 regions around the world. This was published just before the, uh, uh, the COP10 meeting on the Convention on Biological Diversity. This was in Nagoya. And, and so th- these are really the first time that we've had records, uh, and that the, these uh, groups from uh, different countries around the world also identified the major threats and uh, extractions. That is, fishing is it was the, the biggest threat, uh, and uh, but, but pollution uh, essentially came second, and and that is particularly true in closed areas like the Gulf of Mexico. So the uh, uh, the Mediterranean uh, has suffered very badly. The Baltic has suffered very badly. The Gulf of Mexico uh, as well. What are, what are some of the entirely new creatures discovered? Weren't uh, giant spiny lobsters found? Uh, yes, we uh, our colleagues in South Africa identified uh, some uh, they were called mega lobsters. That they're not they're about a half a meter long, so they're not they're not really gigantic lobsters, but uh, they are they are very large for something that had never been seen before. Is that because they live fairly long? Don't uh, lobsters and crabs get very big if you if they're not caught? Yes, and and that, that's part of I'm sure that's part of this. Uh, the area where these uh, were discovered uh, was. Uh, pretty far from everywhere in the South uh, Indian Ocean, and uh, it's, um, it's just not a place that very many people had ever gone. Aren't you a squid specialist? What about the elusive giant squid? Did you find out anything more about that? Well, um, I am a squid specialist, and uh, we, during the course of the census, uh, the first pictures were taken of a live giant squid. Uh, we also got some very interesting pictures of not quite the giant squid, but something called the big fin squid. That uh, uh, this this was in fact a, a discovery of the census, uh, and uh, it turns out that this this squid can get to be um, seven meters long, wow. uh, and uh, it had never been seen before. Uh, it, and in fact, no specimen of it has yet been taken as an adult, uh, but we got lots of video of it, uh, right? Lots of photographs. And, I mean, this is the other part of 
the transparent ocean is uh, we 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 see a lot of things now in the ocean that uh, we couldn't catch before and uh, the, the fact is that these squid can just swim too quickly to be caught by a net uh, but you we, can still take photographs of them we have to end it there uh, we have uh, provided a link for more information uh, on the census of marine life on our show page at wnyc.org my great thanks to dr ron odor my pleasure on tomorrow's show, it's time for my annual Christmas Gospel Special with some favorite holiday classics from the golden age of gospel. And then in the second hour, we will rebroadcast a very special live performance by Elvis Costello with his band, The Sugar Canes and Pete Thomas. Last month, they performed songs from Elvis's latest album, National Ransom, in WNYC's Jerome L. Green Space, and we talked about whose influences work and about collaborating with T-Bone Burnett, the producer of his new album. Leonard Lopez Show is produced by Blake D. Schick, Stephen Valentino, and Julia Corcoran. Melissa Egan is the executive producer, and we had help today from Andrew Katzen, Christina Maldonado, Ida Sardikiani, Sasha Van Oldershausen, and contributing producer Virginia Doris. Dimitri Krasny was at the audio controls. I'm Leonard Lopez, your host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>